Okay, brothers and sisters, praises be to our loving Abba, that we are gathered once again to study his words and his commandments. Today, our topic is about unusual uh, circumstances, which is basically a focus on, this, on the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21. That's right, we are 20, uh, chapter 21, which means we're very close to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. So, praises be to our loving God that we have reach uh, this part of our study. So Deuteronomy chapter 21 is about certain specific laws that Yahuwah God gave us. Remember, the laws of Moses were basically divided into three parts. There was the moral law, which is basically uh, what is contained in the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah God that he gave to Moses. There's the ceremonial laws, which pretty much governed the different uh, ceremonies for the purpose of purification. And there were also what are called social laws, which governed the relationship among the people of God, because the people of Israel was a theocracy. They were under the government led by Yahuwah, our God. And so when it comes to the commandments that Yahuwah God gives, they, have, they come in different forms. What we're going to study today are unusual commandments, because they're based on unusual circumstances. And there are five circumstances that require five unique laws given by Yahuwah God to his people. The five unusual circumstances are as follows. The unsolved murder, number one. A captive Gentile wife, number two. Firstborn rights, number three. Rebellious son, number four. And number five, hung on a tree. It will make a lot of sense when we go through that together. However, like what we have informed you in time past when he when we study the Old Testament, let's look at the spirit of the law, right? Not the letter of the law. Yes, we need to understand the letter of the law so that we can get a grasp of the spirit of the law, the deep purpose and intent, the heart of God behind the letter of the law as it applies to us today, the days of Yahushua HaMashiach. So we will try and look at the spiritual value of these laws and seek and, and seek that and seek to apply that in our life. So let's begin with number one, unsolved murder. Deuteronomy uh, 21, one down to two. When you are in the land, Yahuwah your God is giving you, someone may be found murdered in a field and you don't know who committed the murder. In such a case, your elders and judges must measure the distance from the site of the crime uh, to the nearby towns. And so this is an unusual circumstance because if you are in the field, and you found someone who was murdered in the field, there's something that needs to be done. What is that? Well, if you cannot determine who the murderer was, what has to happen is to allow the elders and the judges to determine the nearest town at, of the murder site. Because something has to happen with this unusual circumstance. During the days of the people of Israel, there was no CSI, right, or BAUs and things of that nature. And so pretty much if you get away, it's easier to get away with murder. However, you cannot really get away from Yahuwah our God. So what was the instruction of Yahuwah God in cases like this? And why was it important to be implemented? The book of Numbers 35 33, 34, uh, do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, Yahuwah, dwell among the Israelites. Why was it important that the instructions, the law that Yahuwah God gave concerning what to do when there's someone who was murdered and nobody knew the murderer because there's a standing law of God concerning murder. What is that? If there's bloodshed, the land will be polluted. The only way for the land to be set free is if there's blood that is also shed. This is why it's so important that the one who killed, the one who murdered be identified because he or she must also be put to, to death so that the land would not be Defile. However, in this unique circumstance, nobody knows who the killer is. So what do you do? So that the land and the people of Israel would not be defiled or polluted. 
Deuteronomy 21, 3 to 4, when the nearest town has been determined, the town's elders must select from the herd of a young cow. What do we call a cow? What, what kind of cow? What, what comes to your mind when you think of cow? A heifer. So this is kind of like a heifer sacrifice, but this is not a red heifer. Elders must select from a herd a young cow that has never been trained or yoked to a plow. They must lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and that has a stream running through it. There in the valley, they must break the young cow's neck. And so, so that the land would not be polluted or defiled because there's a, a, a dead body in the scene. What does Yahuwah God give as a command to follow? Bible says the elders must select a cow and this cow has to be killed. And so this was part of the process so that the people of Israel could be atoned for because there's a dead body in the field. However, that was not the only thing they're supposed to do. What else? Verse 5. Then the Levitical priests must step forward for Yahuwah, your God, has chosen them to minister before him and to pronounce blessings in Yahuwah's name. They are to decide all legal and criminal cases. And so what, in addition to having the sacrifice of the cow, take note, this was not the kind of sacrifice where you pour the blood on the altar. This was just someone, uh, something, uh, the animal just had to be killed uh, so that there can be atonement for the sins of Israel. So they will not be guilty of the sin. But in addition to that, the Levitical priests must also go to the scene, investigate what has happened, because there were certain councils, there was a council of elders and judges within Israel who handled legal and criminal cases. And so they were to investigate, to make sure that they really cannot identify the one who murdered the individual in question. What also is their purpose? Not just to investigate the case, but also to pronounce blessing in Yahuwah's name. Remember, when Yahuwah's name is invoked, just like what we studied before, Yahuwah remembers that he is a compassionate, he is a merciful and loving father. And so it was important that the priest would invoke the name of Yahuwah so that the people can receive the blessings of Yahuwah, our God. What else is to happen? Let's read Deuteronomy 21, 6 to 8. The elders of the town must wash their hands over the young cow whose neck was broken. Then they must say, our hands did not shed this person's blood, nor did we see it happen. O Yahuwah, forgive your people Israel, whom you have redeemed. Do not charge your people with the guilt of murdering an innocent person. Then they will be absolved of the guilt of this person's blood. So besides killing a cow and having the Levite Priests come to investigate the case and pronounce blessings in the name of Yahuwah. The elders of the town must also wash their hands over the young cow whose neck was broken. What must they say? They must say that they are not responsible for the death. And they are to request that the charge against them for the guilt of murder, uh, guilt of murdering an innocent person will not be, they will be absolved of that. And so when all this happens, when they follow these instructions, what would Jehovah God do? Verse 9, by following these instructions, you will do what is right in Yahuwah's sight and will cleanse the guilt of murder from your community. Now, when you think about that, it's a lot of steps, right? For, some, for a, a, someone who died, someone who was killed, and no one knew, who killed him. And so what does this show us about uh, Yahuwah our God? What does the, these laws show us? What is the spiritual value that we can assess when we look at these instructions that Yahuwah God gave concerning this unsolved murder? What do we see? We can see, well, for me, the value and respect for even one human life. You see that? Because Yahuwah God values human life so much, we need to make sure we do our best to save even one 
human life. This is why it's not true. It is not permissible that people use the name of religion to kill people. It is not the way of Yahuwah, our God. What Yahuwah God wants is to preserve human life because human life, no matter how insignificant uh, they may be esteemed by some people, regardless of where they came from or what the color of their skin may be, human life, every single human being bears whose image? The image of our God. And so we are to respect, we are to value even one human life. Okay, so that's the spiritual value of that set of instructions that Jehovah God gave us. What else? Well, how about this unusual circumstance concerning a Gentile wife? What is that all about? Well, let's read Deuteronomy 21, 10 to 11. Suppose you go out to war against your enemies, and Yahuwah your God hands them over to you, and you take some of them as captives. And suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and you were attracted to her and want to marry her. Is that an unusual circumstance? Perhaps, perhaps not. Because one of the bad things that happen when there's war is that there are people who are destroyed. Their lives are destroyed. It's an ugly thing when people engage in war. And when it comes to Yahuwah entering into a covenant relationship with his people Israel, Yahuwah works within what is, what is experienced by the people. And so he gives command so that he can do, so that the people of Israel can respond in the best way even when it comes to the ugly and horrific things that take place in this world. And so when it comes to war, um, if the people of Israel were to overcome or defeat an enemy, and some of them like a woman, beautiful woman, and they want to marry this woman, right? What are the laws that Yahuwah God gave? Well, if you still remember in the book of Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take your daughters for your sons. And so when we go back to Deuteronomy 20, uh, 10 down to 11, this Israelite will want to marry a Gentile, right? Someone who is not Israelite, a Gentile, to marry a Gentile of one of the conquered lands. But in Deuteronomy 7, do not intermarry with them. However, when Yahuwah God mentioned Deuteronomy 7, 3, he was speaking of the Canaanites, the ites that lived within the jurisdiction of the promised land. So who are Gentiles where it was possible for intermarriage? In the book of Deuteronomy 20, 14 and 15, but you may keep for yourselves all the women, children, livestock, and other plunder. You may enjoy the plunder from your enemies of Yahuwah your God has given you, but these instructions apply only to distant towns, not to the towns of the nations in the land you will enter. And so if the people of Israel conquer lands that is not part of the promised land or the land of Canaan, there was the possibility of marrying the women there or intermarriage with them. Were they Gentiles? Yes, but they were not the Canaanites that Yahuwah God identified who must have no part in dealings with the people of Israel. Now, when we look at this passage of scripture and we read it without really thinking about it and without considering other parts of scripture, it would seem that women, the women in these case, and even the children, they're being treated like property, right? Like part of plunder, enjoy the plunder. However, Yahuwah God does something that was unheard of during the days, the ancient days, when it was common for women who became prisoners of war to be abused, to be raped. What does Yahuwah God give as instruction? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 21, 12 to 13. So in the event that some of, you, uh, some of the Israelites fall in love, with a woman uh, who's a Gentile, right? What needs to happen first? Verse 12, if this happens, you must take her to your home where she must shave her head, cut her nails, 
and change the clothes she was wearing when she was captured. She will stay in your home, but let her mourn for her father and mother for a full month. Then you may marry her and you will be her husband and she will be your wife. And so what instruction did Yahuwah God give? Just in, if there were those who intend to marry a woman among the conquered kingdoms of the Gentile territories. Bible says, give her 30 months to grieve, basically. Uh, uh, 30 days, I mean, a full month uh, to grieve, okay? To let her mourn her father and mother. What else? She must shave her head and change her clothes. So full month, which is called a transition to prepare this woman for a life as an Israelite. You see, before he can marry her, she has to be converted to become also an Israelite. And the conversion process requires certain rituals, one of which she must shave her head, change her clothes. Why? What was the purpose of that? What did this allude to? In Leviticus 14, 8 to 9, if you still remember, the persons being purified must then wash your clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe themselves in water, then they'll be ceremonially clean and may return to the, to camp, to the camp. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. On the seventh day, they must, gain, they must again shave all their hair from their heads, including the hair of the beard and eyebrows. They must also wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water, then they'll be ceremonially clean. So the cutting, the shaving of the hair, washing and changing of the clothes. What did that, what was the purpose behind that? It was the purpose of purification, okay? What else? Well, if you still remember number six, verse 18, then the Nazarites will shave their heads at the entrance of the tabernacle. They will take the hair that has been dedicated and place it on the fire beneath the peace offering sacrifice. So the shaving of the head, the changing of the clothes, the mourning of father and mother within a span of one month. The purpose of that is conversion, transition time so that the woman who is in question will have enough time to be a dedicated Israelite. And so once this transition takes place, what can happen now? Deuteronomy 21 verse 14. But if you marry her and she does not please you, you must let her go free. You may not sell her or treat her as a slave, for you have humiliated her. And so if once the purification rites and process has been completed for a month, they can get married. But if this woman is not happy and so does not please the Israelite man, because perhaps the woman could not fully accept what it's like and what it is to become true Israelite, maybe she cannot uh, let go of her custom and her culture. Bible says, let her go free. But you may not sell her or treat her as a slave. So she is given back her freedom. This is very unusual, very remarkable, because for the first time, protection for women's rights, a captive woman was given protection of her rights which was unheard of during ancient times because back then women were treated as commodity. They were treated as property. But here in the Holy Scriptures time and time again, we see Yahuwah God. He is giving the people of Israel a different way to, to live and to interact with the women, whether it be an Israelite woman or someone who is of Gentile origin. And so when it comes to women and children, we know they are weak and they are vulnerable. And so we can see that the spirit of this law, the spiritual value of this law is basically to be kind for those who are weak and helpless. That's the spirit behind that law. Well, how about the circumstance regarding firstborn rights? What is this all about? Let's go to Deuteronomy 21, 15 and 16. Suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other. And both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. 
when the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, the son of the wife he loves as if he were the firstborn son. And so here's the situation. Here's a man. How many wives does he have? Two. Were they permitted to have two wives back then? Yes, but it was not ideal. It was not by design from Yahuwah our God. What is, the, what is Yahuwah's design concerning marriage? One man, one woman, right? This is why in every instance where you have polygamy, where you have a man with multiple wives, it was never a happy household. It was filled with problems and strife. This is why if we want the ideal, it is Yahuwah's design in the beginning, which is one man, one wife. However, because of the stubbornness and the hard-heartedness of the hearts of the people of Israel, Yahuwah God permitted them. So it was a training process. However, during the Christian era, it is very clear. One man, one woman. Okay, but back then, Yahuwah God was based, were still training the people of Israel. And so there were instances when a man had two wives. Already we can see the problem, right? You love one and you don't love the other as much. That's going to bring a lot of jealousy. Another problem is if both of them have sons and the one that, the one that he loves more than the other is not the firstborn, naturally, his personal preference would be what? To give the, the firstborn inheritance, not to the actual firstborn, but the one of whom was born from the one that he loves, right? And so, for example, um, the one that he loves has a son, but he was not the firstborn. Your personal preference might be to give it to the son, uh, to give it to... Uh, the son that came from the wife that he loves, okay? So what does Yahuwah God say about that? Yahuwah God basically says he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, even if the mother of that son is the one that he loves. Why? Deuteronomy uh, 21, 17, he must recognize the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love, by giving him a double portion. He is the first son of his father's virility and the rights of the firstborn belongs to him. And so what is Yehuda God's instruction? Follow the law. It was a long-standing a, a long law and commandment of God that the firstborn is to be given the double portion, even before the law of Moses came, right? Even during the days of Abraham, there was already that law, which is which tells us, that the firstborn is to be given the blessings. It is, he is to be given the rights of the firstborn. Okay, so what does this law tell us about Yahuwah, what he values? What is the spirit of this law? Well, basically, the law must take precedence over personal preference. By personal preference, perhaps the husband wants to give the blessing more to the to the son, that is the product of his union with the wife that he loves more than the other one, right? But the law of God must take priority over personal preference. And even during our time, we have to make sure uh, when it comes to our dealings with other people and ourselves and with our community, it is the laws of God that must take higher priority, okay? Let's go now to the next one, the rebellious son. Let's read Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. So two things. Number one, the son here is someone who is past the age of accountability. And so this son is able to think as an adult, okay? He's not like a youngster or six-year-old, a 10-year-old who has tantrums. That's not the scenario here, but someone who has adult, capa adult capabilities as far as cognitive abilities are concerned. So they're able to think on their own, okay? But the problem is they're stubborn and rebellious. 
And when it comes to the parenting, it is assumed that the parents are doing what they can to discipline the son, the son according to the teachings of Yahuwah, our God. Yet despite the teaching, despite the guidance, despite the discipline, this person remains rebellious and rejects the admonitions of his father or mother. So what must happen in situations like this? Deuteronomy 21, 19, 20. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. So what needs to happen in situations like this? Bible says the father and the mother must take that son uh, to the meeting of the elders and they are to say to the elders that he is a rebellious son who refuses to obey a glutton and a drunkard. And what is to happen to this rebellious son? 21, then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. And all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. So according to scriptures, we know this very well. There is this command that there was a rebellious son, someone who had adult thinking, who refuses to obey and lives an, uh, a life characterized by wickedness and waywardness, rebelliousness. The uh, instruction is to stone him to death. What's the purpose of this instruction? Number one, so that all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. Number two, because Yahuwah God wants to highlight the importance of one of the Ten Commandments. What is that? To honor your father and mother. In fact, it's such an important law to God. Later on in Deuteronomy 27, 16, when they were giving the blessings and the cursings, a curse, according to scripture, cursed is anyone who dishonors father or mother. And all the people will reply, Amen. So Yahuwah God wants to let the people know that for society to function well, for Yahuwah God to be pleased, it is an important command that children honor their father and mother. How about in the Christian era during our time? Is this, is this still a commandment of Yahuwah God? What's the spirit of the law concerning uh, this commandment of Yahuwah God? It was given long ago, Matthew 15. Three down to six, Yahuwah replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so Yahushua when he was speaking to his disciples, when he was speaking also to the Pharisees, what did he say about this command of God concerning honoring your father and mother? Yahusha mentioned and he taught us very well, even during our time. It's still very important to Yahuwah God that we honor father and mother. In fact, Yahusha even told us that we must make it our priority. How did Yahusha teach the priority of honoring father and mother? Yahusha said, if, for example, you're planning to help your father or your mother, perhaps with a gift, you cannot say, because I'm going to give this gift to God, I will no longer honor father and mother with it. Yahushua says, no, don't do that. You're nullifying the work of God for your tradition. What was important to Yahushua? Honoring father and mother. How important is it to honor father and mother? If we do not honor father or mother, the Bible says this person is cursed. And for Yahushua to say that, we know we better listen to what he has to say. Now, there are those who are saying, but brother, doesn't it say in the Holy Scriptures, wasn't it Yahushua himself who said that we are to love him more than our father and mother? Is that true or not? That's true. 
But to love Yahushua more than our father and mother does not mean we are to dishonor father and mother. Because there are those who are thinking, okay, if we love Yahushua more, then we can dishonor now father and mother. No. The Bible says, love your father, honor your father and mother, but love Yahushua more. And so for us who follow the teachings of Yahushua, it does not mean reject father and mother, but to love them the best that you can. This is the best way that we can honor Yahushua by loving father and mother. Okay. Now, how important is this command of God? Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. How important is the command to love father and mother, to honor father and mother? Bible says it is the first commandment with a promise added. What is that promise? All will go well with you and you will enjoy long life on the earth. And so when we look at the consequences of this command, either cursing or blessing, what kind of blessing? Long life and all things going well in your life. This tells us how important this command is to Yahuwah our God. So we don't need to guess what the spiritual value of that command of God is to honor your father and mother, right? What is that spiritual value? Honor your father and mother is a priority to our almighty father. Okay, let's go to the last one, hung on a tree. What does the command say? Well, this is again an unusual circumstance. It says if someone has committed a crime worthy of death, and is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. In this way, you will prevent the defilement of the land. Yahuwah, your God, is giving you as your special possession. And so what is, the, what is this special or unusual circumstance? Someone did committed a crime that was so bad it wasn't enough just to put him to death usually when a person commits a crime worthy of death they stone him to death that was how capital punishment was done right but if the crime was so heinous and you wanted to prove a point so that it would be a deterrent what would they do they would hang the corpse on the tree so that people will see the humiliation of his or her death and so this was a powerful statement so that people will learn we must never commit this kind of crime right and so what was yahuwah god's purpose why did he say though when someone is hung on a tree make sure that you must bury the body the same day bible says for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of who? Yahuwah God. So when Yahuwah God will see this person hanging, this person is cursed. Yahuwah, in that, he will remember the curse. And so it would defile the land. It would defile the people and the earth. This is why even though he is hung on a tree, it must not remain there for a long time. So after the, the body must be buried that same day. Okay, why? What is the purpose of this command? What is the spirit behind this command? It is to prevent the defilement of the land. What do you mean? Well, there's something we have to understand about sin. Sin defiles. Do you believe that? Yeah, because sin pollutes. It affects people around you. Perhaps it affects negatively the people around you because they also might follow what you're doing. Not only that, but if you live with people and you live a life of sin, the consequences of your sin affects the people around you. And so sin pollutes, sin defiles. And so what must we understand about sin? Book of Isaiah 24, 3 to 6. The earth will lie shattered and ruined. Yahuwah has spoken, and it will be done. The earth dries up and withers. The whole world grows weak. Both earth and sky decay. The people have defiled the earth. 
by breaking God's laws and by violating the covenant he made to last forever. So God has pronounced a curse on the earth. Its people are paying for what they have done. Fewer and fewer remain alive. We're not one, some of us are maybe wondering why the world ever since last year, it's like falling apart, right? Everything is like decaying. There are people affected by the pandemic, natural disasters, people losing their jobs, mighty men becoming weak, nations that we consider superpowers. They are helpless of what is happening in the world today. Everything is collapsing. What is the root cause behind all this? It is sin. Sin that defiles. This is why we're not surprised that this is happening in the world today. The sin has polluted the earth. The sin has defiled the earth because people have rejected the laws and commandments of our almighty God. And what will eventually happen? Because the earth has been defiled. 19 and 20, the earth will crack and shatter and split open. The earth itself will stagger like a drunk, sway like a hut in the storm. The world is weighed down by its sins. It will collapse, never rise again. And so right now, the earth is like, it's like being swayed like a hut. You know, it's collapsing, it's moving, teetering, and it's eventually going to collapse, never to rise again. That's because sin was not controlled. Sin eventually became so filled, it filled the earth so much, it weighed the sins of humanity became so powerful. The whole world is weighed down by its sins. It will collapse, never to rise again. And so what is the spiritual value? Sin defiles. So we need to get rid of sin in our life. We need to get, get rid of sin in our home. So these unusual circumstances, unsolved murder, captive Gentile wife, firstborn rights, rebellious son hung on a tree, right? These were special, specific commands and laws for unusual circumstances. And we can see the spiritual value of these laws. What are they? We must value and respect every human life, even one human life. Number two, we need to be kind for those who are oppressed, weak, and helpless. We need to always give priority to the laws of God, not our personal preferences. We must honor father and mother always. We must not let sin, defile, desecrate our life, our home, our country. So these are the spiritual values that we must adopt and implement in our life. We can learn from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21, okay? Now, when I was going to present this lesson, it was going to stop right here. It was, we're supposed to finish already. That's it. I'm going to pray. But when I was looking at these unusual circumstances, unsolved murder, captive wife, a gentle wife, firstborn rights, rebellious son, hung on a tree. There was a pattern. I don't know if you can see the pattern. I want you to take a look at the pattern. And maybe you see, if you look deeply enough, there's something it's communicating. Remember when we studied the Old Testament, it was with the purpose of trying to see who in there. Who do we want to see? In every page of scripture, we want to see Yahusha. Do you see Yahusha? Do you see the plan of God in this list of special circumstances together with the laws that Yahuwah God gave? Do you see the plan of God? Do you see Yahusha? In these laws, how many here see him? And do you see how it's all connected together to show the plan of God's salvation at work? You see it? This is why when I was looking at it, there was something else there. In Deuteronomy 21, the unusual circumstances, these five cases actually pointed to future fulfillment. For example, unsolved murder. What was this about? To what did it point to? Remember, the Old Testament is about Yahuwah God's work with one nation. Who are they? 
people of Israel. And what is God's purpose for the people of Israel? Let's read the book of Luke 19, 41 to 44. He came closer to the city. And when he saw it, he wept over it, saying, if you only knew today what is needed for peace, but now you cannot see it. The time will come when your enemies will surround you with barricades, blockade you, and close in on you from every side. It will completely destroy you and the people within your walls. Not a single stone will they leave in its place because you did not recognize the time when God came to save you. Here's Yahushua. And he's speaking to the people of Israel. And he said to them, if you only knew what is needed for peace, but you cannot see it. Do you know what the people of Israel failed to see? If you read the whole book or the whole chapter of Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, Yahushua was fulfilling prophecy by getting a colt or a donkey. And he rode on a donkey to show the people of Israel a prophecy was being fulfilled. Their king who would give them salvation, who would deliver them. Their king was coming for them on that day. But they did not see the prophecy. And so what did they do? They rejected Yahushua. They rejected the king who came as God's instrument to save the people of Israel. Do you know how they rejected the king of Israel, the king of the Jews? Let's go to the book of Matthew. Very interesting. 27, 11 to 14. Meanwhile, Yahushua stood before the governor. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Yahushua replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Yahushua made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So he's the governor, Pilate, and he is interrogating Yahushua because there is this charge against him that he is claiming to be king and the Roman Empire does not want any rivals and so here's Pilate interviewing interrogating Yahushua are you the king of the Jews and what did Yahushua say yes it is as you say because he really is the king of the Jews Yahuwah sent him so that Israel can be set free so that Israel can be delivered and receive salvation the millennial kingdom could have started right there, but they rejected their king, right? And so when the chief priests, when the elders were interrogating him and bringing charge against him, Yahushua gave no reply. And so what happened? What did the governor do? What did Pilate decide to do? Let's read 15 to 18. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner. What's his name? Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Yahushua, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Yahushua over to him. And so here's Pilate, so that he would take no responsibility for this man, Yahushua, what did he do? He decided, because it was his custom during the Feast of Passover, to give the crowd the opportunity to release someone, prisoner. And so they, he gave him a choice, either Yahushua or Barabbas. Who do you want to set free? What did they say? Barabbas. They want Barabbas to be released. And at this time, what insider information did Pilate receive? Let's read 27, 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. And so Pilate got insider information from Yahuwah through a dream, through the wife, telling him this man is innocent so we're dealing with an innocent man remember the first law that we studied today it's about a man who was put to death right nobody knows who killed him and so the people the elders and the priests they were gathered and the purpose of the gathering of the elders and the priests was to determine who tried to kill him right and also 
so to to absolve themselves of the guilt of murder in this situation is like totally different it's like the opposite the chief priests and the elders what do they do they met together to put an innocent man to death you see that and so what happened let's read 20 and 21 but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for barabbas and to have yahusha executed which of the two do you want me to release to you asked the governor barabbas they answered and so what were they what were what did they want to happen to yahusha the christ 22 to 25 what then shall i do then what shall i do then with yahusha who is called christ pilate asked they all answered what is their answer? what is their answer crucify him why what crimes has he committed asked pilate but they shouted all the louder crucify him when pilate saw that he was getting nowhere but that instead an uproar was starting he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd i am innocent of this man's blood he said it is your responsibility all the people answered let his blood be on us and our children do you see how the law of god concerning an innocent uh, a man who was killed remember the law says that uh, the chief priests or the the elders they were to wash their hands and claim innocence right and they were to declare that they're not guilty of this man's blood here we see a parallel of that here instead of being innocent what did they do they orchestrated for the death of an innocent man who would that be yahusha well who would be guilty of that they even took ownership of the guilt what did they say let his blood be on us and our children you see that this is why it's not surprising but 40 years later, what would happen to Israel? They will be completely defeated. The temple was destroyed. The city ransacked. And there would no more be Israel. And so what did that point to as a future fulfillment? So when we look at Deuteronomy 21, the, uns the case of the unsolved murder points to a future fulfillment. Israel rejecting Yahushua as their king and have him executed, taking responsibility for his blood, right? And so because they rejected Yahusha as their king, what did Yahuwah turn to? To whom did he turn to, to give the gift of salvation? Well, if you look at the next uh, unusual circumstances about a Gentile wife, does that give you an idea of where we're going to go next? A Gentile wife, Israel, rejected salvation through Yahusha. And so what is God going to do? Let's go read the book of Romans 11. Again, I ask that they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? And so because... Israel rejected Yahusha as their Messiah, they perished. They became guilty of the blood of Yahusha. And so Israel was destroyed and they were dispersed. Remember, 40 years later, the city was destroyed. Now, because they rejected uh, the king, Apostle Paul says salvation has now come to who? The Gentiles, right? And what does that mean? How can the Gentiles be saved? Not Romans 9, 30, 33. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued the law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but, if, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame and so how were the gentiles able to obtain salvation it is because they receive righteousness by faith because they believe 
Yahusha is the Messiah. And so the Gentiles got the opportunity to receive salvation that Yahuwah promised to give to Israel. Israel rejected it. The Gentiles obtained it. Okay. And so when we look at the future fulfillment, Yahuwah's salvation through Yahusha was offered to the Gentiles. And does that mean that Yahuwah is going to forget the people of Israel? Because Israel rejected the Messiah? Well, if you look at the next circumstance, right? It's about the firstborn rites. Do you still remember who the firstborn of Yahuwah is? Who is the firstborn of Yahuwah? Exodus 4.22. Then you will tell him, this is what Yahuwah says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. And so the firstborn of Yahuwah is people of Israel. And because Israel is the firstborn, Yahuwah has a love for the people of Israel. And so he will not forget the people of Israel. That's why in Romans 11, 11 and 12, again, I ask, did they stumble, Israel, so as to fall beyond recovery? Apostle Paul says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, they rejected Yahushua. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But Yahuwah God is not finished with Israel. That's why in 25 to 26, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. It's a mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening, hardening of their heart because they rejected the king. In part, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And so even though Yahuwah rejected the people of Israel because they rejected the Mashiach and, and caused him to, to die, Yahuwah does not forget the people of Israel because he is their firstborn son. And so Yahuwah God still has a plan for them. But to what did Yahuwah liken the people of Israel to? If we go back to Deuteronomy 21, the structure of it, we go, for first, we go from firstborn rights. Yahuwah will not give up on his firstborn son, Israel. And then what, what happens next? Rebellious son. So not only was Israel a firstborn son, it was also what? A rebellious son. And this actually pointed forward to what Yahushua spoke about. Do you still remember? The parable of the parable, the, the prodigal son. The original prodigal son is who? What do you think it is? Who is that prodigal son all about? I believe that was referring really about who? Israel. Israel was the original uh, prodigal son. Because when you look at Luke 15, 11, and 16, to illustrate the point further, Yahushua told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I want to pause there for a while. Israel, where did they come from? People of Israel. Who was their father? Huh? Who was their father? The people of Israel. What was the name of their father? Yeah. The name of the father of the people of Israel was Israel. <laughs> Because Yahuwah God changed the name Jacob to Israel. But its given name was Jacob. Was Jacob, who was given the right to the firstborn, was he the younger son or the eldest son? He was the younger. Who was the elder son? It was Esau, wasn't it? And so when we look at this parable of Yahushua, there's a lot of parallels between Israel and this part of the son, Right? Uh, people of Israel could be likened to the younger son and the rebellious son that we talked about Deuteronomy chapter 21. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 21, that rebellious son became an embarrassment because of wayward living, became an embarrassment to his parents and his community. And so he was stoned to death. Now, when we look at this prodigal son, the parable of Yahushua, what did this younger son want? The younger son, verse 12, told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's basically 
dishonoring the father because you would never ask for your inheritance while your father is still alive. But he was basically demanding it. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land there. He wasted all his money in wild living. Did Israel also waste the inheritance that they could have had? They did, right? They wasted their, their inheritance. The, the uh, rebellious son in Deuteronomy chapter 21, he basically lived his life in wild living, a glutton, lazy. This is also that part of the son. 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But, now, but no one gave him anything. And so this prodigal son, when he lost everything that he had, and there was great famine in the land, he had nothing. He, there was nothing left. And so he eventually began to eat what was being fed the pigs. That's how bad it got. And when it became that bad, what did he finally realize? 17 to 19, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. And so when he finally came to his senses, what did he decide to do? To go back to his father. You see, people of Israel eventually, during the tribulation, will realize the inheritance that they lost, and they will seek the father again. They will return to the father. And when they do, what will happen? Let's go back to the parable of the prodigal son. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And so when the father saw his son who left the way for wayward living, when he came back, according to Jewish law, what's supposed to happen to him? He should be stoned to death, right? But that's not what the father did. What did the father do? He ran to him. He ran to him. He was not punished. Instead, what did the father say to him? What did the father say to his servants? He said, Queen, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Why? The father said he was lost, but now he is found. And so there was a feast. And so there's this change, right? The rebellious son in the future would be forgiven. The rebellious son would return to the father. And the father would throw a feast. What does that allude to? Isn't that the millennial kingdom? It's going to be a feast. A celebration. Because the son has returned to the father. And Yahusha even said that one day. One day. He will return. For Israel. When? Matthew 23. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You killed the prophets and stoned the messengers God has sent you. How many times I wanted to put my arms around all your people, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. So your temple will be abandoned and empty. From now on, I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. Yahusha tells us about his love for the people of Israel. How much he wanted to put his arms around the people of Israel. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
Why do you kill the prophets? Stone the messengers God has sent you? But Yahushua has not given up. He knows one day he will come back. Because eventually Israel as a whole, as a nation, they will learn their lesson. Time will come when the prodigal son will return. and The father will bless them. Right now, that time has not yet come. But I believe it's getting closer and closer. When that day comes, when God will see Israel repentant and they will call upon Yahushua as their Mashiach. That's when Yahushua will usher in the millennial kingdom. But how is it possible when Israel had Yahushua, who was innocent, when Israel had them, had Yahushua killed on the cross by the hands of Pilate? And they even said, we will take ownership of the guilt. May the blood be upon us and our children. Remember that? How can that be forgiven? It's a good thing. There was another law there. Deuteronomy 21. Hung on a tree. Right? What was that about? Someone has committed a crime worthy of death. And is executed and hung on a tree. Body must not remain hanging from a tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day. For anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. And so when we think about the crime of Israel. They put an innocent man to die. And they took the guilt of him dying upon themselves and their children. When we think about the crime, an innocent man suffering like that, that crime in itself is worthy of death, right? But Yahushua did something. What was that? Galatians 3, 13 and 14. But by becoming a curse for us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse that the law brings. For the scripture says, anyone who was hanged on a tree is under God's curse. Christ did this in order that the blessing which God promised to Abraham might be given to the Gentiles by means of Christ Yahushua. So that through faith we might receive the spirit promised by God. And so what did Yahushua do? So that Deuteronomy 21 would have a happy ending. The Bible says, Yahushua redeemed us from the curse that the law brings. How? When he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, being an innocent, perfect lamb of God. That was enough for us to be set free from the curse of the law. And in so doing. The Gentiles, together with the Jews, can now receive the salvation promised by God. Galatians 3, 28 to 29, the last passage of our studies. So there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free people, between men and women. You are all one in union with Christ, Yahushua. If you belong to Christ, then you are the descendants of Abraham and will receive what God has promised. And so when you look at Deuteronomy 21, when you look at it, Deuteronomy, perhaps you do not see the fingerprints of Yahuwah, God's mercy and love. But when you think about how Yahusha fulfilled the details of these unusual circumstances and laws, we see the love of Abba, the love of Yahusha HaMashiach. Israel rejected Yahusha. He gave opportunity to the Gentiles. But not forgetting the firstborn. Through his death, he would redeem both Jew and Gentile. So that by means of his death, people can obtain the promised salvation of God. This is the work of God's hands, brothers and sisters. And so we can trust in the unfolding of God's plans. And we are so fortunate that we are included as members of the assembly of Yahushua, being a part of the body of Yahushua, we must proclaim this message of God's relentless love. He does not give up. Can you imagine rejecting, rejecting the precious gift of Yahuwah God by putting him to die on the cross? Yet, because of Yahuwah's mercy and love, the opportunity is still there 
for all of us, whether Jew or Gentile, to receive the promised salvation of our God. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. Almighty Yahuwah Abba, yes. thank you so much because you are indeed patient, long-suffering. Although we deserve your punishment, yes. you remember that we are but dust. Yes. And so you have long ago decided to prepare all of us yes. for the coming of your son. We know that he died for the purpose of our sins. Yes. Thank you for giving him to us. Yes. Thank you for you did this because of love. Yes. Knowing that when you did so, we were undeserving of such a grace. Amen. Father, please have mercy upon us. Yes. That we may share this glorious work of your salvation. Yes. To as many people as possible. Amen. We know time is running out. Yes, because Father. this earth has been defiled by sin. Yes, and sin has caused this world to fall apart. Yes. Collapsing every day, every week. Amen. As we hear news of pandemic and calamity. Yes. Help us, Father, to do our best. That we can be lights of the world and yes. salt of the earth. Amen. Proclaiming your righteousness. To as many people as possible. Amen. Yahusha, our king, do yes. not give up on your servants. We yes. know we are unworthy of you. Yes. Help us to be strong. Help us to remain your followers. Yes. No matter what happens in our life, Amen. we will devote our life to you. Have yes. mercy and show grace to each and every one of us. Amen. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers tonight. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.